You're listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning, Anthem Church. How are we doing? Rachel, if we could bring the lights up in here. You guys want to do that? People can see their Bibles. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Genesis chapters 3 and 4. We've got two chapters of narrative to get through today. I literally have nine pages of notes. You're like, is that a lot? That's a lot more than I normally have. So normally a pastor will start with like some fun intro. You don't get one of those today, okay? We're just diving in. Uh, Last week, if you missed it, we started in Exodus. Luke uh, taught chapters one and two. And so really to do that, you have to do a Genesis flyover, how God first created man, and then he called Abraham, and you, you see the story kind of, and it stops with Joseph being blessed in Egypt and his whole family coming, and uh, then we pick up the narrative several hundred years later um, with what is happening in Exodus. And so, um, again, last week Luke kind of talked about uh, Moses, and we see Moses being saved as a baby. He was put in a basket, and then here he is with uh, such a position of authority, and he sees uh, one of his own people, one of the tribe of Israel, being beaten by an Egyptian. And so Moses, seeking to deliver them from oppression, um, killed the Egyptian. And uh, what Moses wanted to do was he wanted to free them from oppression. And what his intention with one man, God's going to do with a whole nation. And so we're going to see God's plan here uh, for his people. And so starting in Exodus chapter 3, Verse 1, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV version so you can follow along with me. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, a mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Okay, we're going to time out. Can can you begin to get the scene, right? We have Moses who uh, was at one point in the Egyptian palace being raised up. Now he is being a shepherd to a group of probably sheep and goats. Quite the distinct difference in uh, day-to-day probably. And uh, presumably, we just think it's another day on the west side of the wilderness, right, where he's just out with his flocks. I grew up on a farm. Um, If your job was to all day just hang out with a a flock of sheep and goats and watch them eat, right, that's not the most interesting thing. Like every now and again, maybe you get a a fight off a wolf, but day to day, it's pretty normal, right? And so you see a bush burning, but not burning. You're like, I think I'm going to go check that out. A normal person um, would probably want to check that out, let alone a shepherd who's probably just having another kind of mundane kind of afternoon. And so Moses turns aside, he's fascinated, and it says in verse four, when the Lord saw that he turned aside, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, Okay, right? There's probably a little bit of freak out moment here when he's referring to you by name (laughs) in Moses' response. Here I am. And he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals uh, of your feet for the place for which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face uh, for he was afraid to look at God. 
Okay, time out. You, you have to really enter into this narrative, okay? So here's a shepherd just kind of walking on over. All of a sudden, like, he, he's walking up to the bush off your sandals. Like, can you just envision, like, the shepherd kind of, like, talking to a bush, and God's like, this is holy ground. Like, we're having a moment. Like, don't bring that dirt of your sandals up on this holy ground. Like, take them off. And you just, like, imagine, like, I plan to take, I didn't wear good socks for that today. But, but you imagine the scene, right? As he, like, takes his, his sandals off, and then he begins to hide his face. And there's a right response of, of fear. He, he's thinking, man, I'm not worthy. It reminds me of that old worship song, I Can Only Imagine. You know what I'm talking about? I can only, no, I'm not going to sing it for you, right? But like, I can only imagine what it will be like to, will I stand in your presence to my knees? Will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak? You know what I'm talking? Right. Can you imagine being in the presence of God? Like, which, what's the right response in that scenario? You, uh, there's a conflict. And so Moses, like, is, kicks off his sandals and, like, begins to hide his face from God. And you're going to see as the narrative continues that his posture begins to change. But, but that's where we're at here in verse 6. Verse 7, here's what the Lord says to him. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, a, a good a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Pezites, Hivites, and Jezebites. There's a lot of ites that live in this land. And we're going to give it to you, he says, verse 9. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Do you understand what God's saying here? Again, in verse 7, he says, I have surely seen, I have heard their cry. I know what's going on. These are my people. And God's saying, I'm about to deliver them. I know, I see, I hear. This reminds me of growing up on the farm. A lot of my illustrations are about farm. That's what you get, right, when you get a redneck pastor. And so growing up on the farm, we had purebred uh, cow-calf operation. And so about this time, our cows would be having their calves. And, and uh, my dad, we had about 100 head, and so we'd go out after these calves were born, give them a day or two to kind of get their feet under them. And then we'd go out and we'd put tags in their ear to identify which calf goes with which cow. And then on the purebred side of things, you actually even like put like a tattoo in their ear in case the tag would fall out. And so you got to go out there with these newborn calves and they're not that big or anything or not that, you, know, you got to get them before they're a week old. Once they're a week old, they get fast, right? But you, a couple days old, you go and you kind of put it on the ground and then my dad would like sit on them and then he'd, he'd put the tag in their ear. No big deal, right? Well, without fail, as soon as that calf would go down and he'd sit, my dad was 6'3", 240, could roll a quarter through his wedding ring. I mean, he was big man, right? And his job was to tag them. You know what my job was as an 11-year-old boy? Dad give me a stick and he'd say, when that cow comes, you just keep her off me, okay? Because without fail, that calf would hit the ground, it'd stick his head out and it'd beller, and somewhere from across the lot would come this 1,600-pound mama cow that'd be mad, right? You see the scene. And dad's like, keep her off me. Now here I am with a stick. And this 
this true story. You can't make this stuff up. And so I'd be with a stick and dad said, keep her off. You know, and, and she would hear, she'd see what's going on. She'd run up and then I'd be there. And like, sometimes you like give them a little bop in the nose and they back off. We had one cow that wasn't the case. <laughs> We're in this barn. Dad tackles his calf. He's working. Keep her off me. And I go and I like give her a little <laughs> tap and it, it caused a switch to flip in her. And she said, uh-uh. Uh, she understood the situation. 12-year-old kid, stick, I think I got this. And so she puts her head down and just comes in for the kill, like just for the kill. And I like jump and I take off running through this barn and it's got like these poles in the barn and I'm like running with this cow, like hot on my trail. Like she it wasn't like a little bluff. She is coming. And as I'm running, this will tell you a little bit about my father. As I'm running, my dad said, well, well don't run from her. <laughs> like, what's my other option at that point? Like, what's my, and I, and I don't know how this works, like with adrenaline, but you're running and there's this, this fence and leap over the thing and land on the other side. And by God's grace, like the cow were separated and I say all that to, to get, do you understand that mama cow, right? She, she thinks something wrong is happening to her calf. We're really just trying to help the process, tag it. But she, she sees, she thinks she knows and she hears. I'm saying I am terrified of a 1,600-pound mama cow. Can you imagine God who says of his people, I know their pain, I see their affliction. They've been enslaved for 400 years. I've heard the cries of the mothers that have had their children robbed from them only to be murdered or thrown into the Nile. God says, I know, I see, I hear in Moses, I am gonna do something about it. I am going to deliver them. Mama Cow ain't got nothing on the wrath of God and so he's gonna bring it and Moses just heard what you heard. And look at his response. Verse 11, Moses said to God, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring out the children of Israel? I, I don't know what tone is to be used, but I think that Moses missed something here. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should bring out the children of, of Israel, of Egypt? <laughs> it's like, Moses, I, I think you missed the part where God says, I know, I see, I hear, and I am gonna deliver my people. You're just a tool, It'd be like a hammer, like speaking back to you in a, your tool bag, being like, who am I to build a house? You're, like, You're just a tool in the carpenter's hand, right? Moses, you don't understand the very, sure you're gonna play a role, a hammer to a builder, but it's a small one. And so God responds to him in verse 12, says, but I will be with you. And this shall be a sign for you that, that I have sent you. When you've brought the people of, uh, out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God's making it clear. I'm the one delivering them. You're just the chosen tool, the to chosen instrument. Moses in verse 13 says to God, hey, well, if I come to the people, again, I don't know how to get any other tone, but you read it. I'll try and do it neutrally. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Starting to think that Moses is doubting God's plan. Again, please don't forget the context. He is barefoot, 
standing in front of a bush of which a voice is coming out of the bushes on fire, but yet it's not being consumed. That's the context, and he was called by name, right? God is having this conversation with them, and Moses is like, wow, I just, I don't know. Well, I mean, they're going to ask, who are you, so what should I tell them? I wonder if the sheep and the goats are like, Moses, like, you should just stop. (laughs) Like, it's good. But God is gracious. God graciously responds. And what's he say in verse 14? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He's saying, that's my name. I am who I am. And he said to this, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the, Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Breaking down like that name, I am who I am. The I am. That's what God is saying. And so there's kind of three parts to this. One, you see, there's this, this self-existence within, within his name. God's saying, um, I am who I am. He's not appealing to, to some outside person like, I am who Kendall says I am. It's like, what higher authority can I appeal to other than myself is, I am who I am. That's, there's, there's this outside, uh, no higher authority that he can appeal to. That which he calls himself, and God is that which he calls himself, and he, he calls himself that which he is. Another thing you see in this is the unchangeable nature of God and who he is in his name. God doesn't say, I was who I was, or I'll be who I be. He'll say, I am who I am. There's uh, uh, eternal nature to this name. And, and he says uh, in verse 15, this is my name forevermore. <clears throat> Again, there's this unchangeable nature of who God is. And it's even represented in that name, the I am who I am. And there's a mysterious side to it too. It's like, what do you expect our three pound brains to be able to comprehend in regards to who God is and his name? There's, there's a, a mysterious nature to this. And so he goes on to unpack it. And he's saying, I am as in the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I mean, this would have been a little more clear, right? To know that who, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So you go through that. Abraham was, was his wife was barren. He was an old man. It was 100 years old when he was able to finally have a kid, Isaac. And only after he had the, the kid, Isaac, God calls him and says, hey, would you sacrifice your son? And so if you remember the scene from Genesis, he takes his son, who God gave him in his old age, and draws back the knife to kill him. And God says, no, stop. And so God spares him. And so he's saying, I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And again, Jacob would have been the father of these 12 tribes. Jacob had 12 sons. Luke kind of covered this. One of them was Joseph, who got sold into slavery by his brothers. Some brother, right? You think your, your family picked on you. Nobody ever sold you into slavery, I'm guessing, right? So here he is. He said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm this God who's given this promise. And God keeps on going. He says, moreover, in verse 16, he's saying, now that you've got that, go. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, and again he says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I have observed um, you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you, 
up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, the Pezites, Hivites, Jezubites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. And he tells Moses in verse 18, he says, and they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel should go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt, that's Pharaoh, will not let you go unless compelled by my mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. When you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry, for clothing. You shall, uh, you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is who I am. I am. And this is my promise. You're going to go and you're going to be able to do these things. And I'm, my hand is going to be against the king of Egypt. That is Pharaoh. You're going to perform these signs and wonders. And did you even catch the end? He's saying, they're going to let you go. And when you go, you're going to pillage. You're going to take with you. You're going to turn to the people that have enslaved you and say, hey, we're going to go on this journey. Mind if I take that gold candle thing and some of this and some of that? And they're going to say, sure, take it. So in your leaving, you're actually going to pillage the people that were once enslaving you. End of chapter three. Moses goes then, right? Surely he's got enough information where now he's going to go. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> chapter four, verse one. Moses answered, but behold, uh, they will not believe me or listen to my voice for they'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. Oh man, okay. Are you starting to get the impression there might be a deeper issue here with Moses? <laughs> like the excuse after excuse? And here's, I just want to take time to say this. People often will say, working with a the pastor, they'll say, man, I just wish I could have heard what Moses heard. I just wish God would speak to me. In fact, if God would speak to me, then I would know what I'm to do. You ever kind of wonder, like wanted that? Like, I just wish God would just make it clear. I wish God would just speak to me like that. I don't know if you actually want that. Here's why. Had Moses, had God not approached Moses out of a burning bush, Moses would have been free to continue to live a life of comfort, hang out with the sheep and goats, and just do that. This is where the phrase ignorance is bliss comes from, right? Because if you don't know what's being asked of you, then you don't have this kind of T intersection where it's like, well, I gotta obey or disobey. But if you never hear, like you're not responsible. And don't tell me you've never done this like with your boss. Like you see your boss coming to your work and like, I'm just gonna go work over here. Because if they don't, they don't see me, they can't ask me anything. Man, I used to shirk work all the time like that. Like mom and dad, I'm like, I'm just gonna go out here and kind of get lost. And you'd hear like a distant calling of your name. You're like, oh, can't hear you. Like this idea that ignorance is bliss because as soon as you hear, now you have to respond. And so people that say, man, I just wish I could hear God speak. And maybe you genuinely mean that, but, but here's the thing. Some of you right now, you probably have things that you're wrestling through. You're like, I just need direction. I just want to know. Well, do you start your day off with praying like that? Do your prayers look something to the effect of like, Lord, I'm here. I'm listening. What do you want from me? God, you've given us the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, is there someone you would want me to talk to? Something you would want me to do? I'm willing 
Order your prayers of somewhat ignorance. Say, Lord, here's my plan for the day. Would you bless it? That's not how Jesus taught us to pray though, right? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Some, <laughs> I had a preacher, I, said, I think I was complaining one time. They say, man, I just wish God would speak to me in this. I said, oh, you want God to speak? You should just read your Bible out loud. Is this not the word of God? Like, if we want to know what God would say, we have his word given to us. I was thinking of an illustration and just thinking, it's, it's as if you work for a company, right? And the company's owner took time to wrote, write down what he wanted, wrote down instructions. He left members of like kind of a, a management team there. He even left his number. He said, hey, you can call me and talk to me. And can you imagine an employee that has what the owner wants, has the owner's number, has managers in place, an employee, you know, just kind of hanging out, be like, well, I'd do something if I just knew what the owner wanted. Do you understand how ridiculous it is? It's like, if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not praying and asking God, if you're not seeking counsel through others, that's not, that's not ignorant. I would say it's this. It's, it's being willfully ignorant being, at that point, the employee is willfully ignorant. You're not ignorant just because ah, you just don't know sometimes. It's like the speed limit signs where they don't post them sometimes. You're like, I don't know how fast to go. Willful ignorance is seeing that little rectangle coming up ahead. And you're like, I'd just rather not look. I'm just going to do it. Willful ignorance is this employee that I just described. Willful ignorance. Willfully ignorance is not bliss. It's rebellion. You can write that down. Willful ignorance is not bliss, it's rebelliousness. That's all it is, it's rebelliousness. And so it's not that God hasn't tried to make it abundantly clear. It's not that God isn't attempting to speak. You just have such a narrow view of what that would look like that God perhaps is trying to use his word, trying to seek you in prayer, trying to, to use other godly people to speak through. And if you wanna remain willfully ignorant, that's not resulting in bliss, it's rebelliousness. I believe we will be held accountable for willful ignorance. And so Moses is pushing back. He's got the full-on voice of God here, and he keeps fighting back. Chapter 4, verse 2, And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. Again, I get the impression that he's perhaps no longer covering his face like cowardly and in fear, but they're just having a dialogue now like, What's that in your hand? It's a staff. All right. Throw it down on the ground, God said in verse three. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses ran from it. This is why you have to read your Bible. That's just funny, right? That's just, do you sense the, the irony of that? It's like, what's that? It's a stick. All right, throw it down. And like Moses throws it and it becomes a snake and he ran from it. And don't tell me, you're like, oh, I wouldn't run from it. Yes, you would, right? You're not gonna throw down a stick and see it become a snake and not be a little bit scared. And so, so again, I think what's subtly being said here is like, oh, I just don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. And God's saying, watch what I could do with a stick. That makes sense? I can use a stick. Moses, I think I can use you. And I love it how the Lord calls him back. He's like, get on over here. He's like, <laughs> he says, uh, Moses, get over your fears because verse four, but the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. <laughs> uh, Moses, little obedience here. So he put out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. 
And God just continues his thought. He says, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Remember the question that prompted it? Well, I don't know if they're going to believe if I, you sent me. Show them this trick. <laughs> okay, they might believe that. You, can you imagine that, that as he's like picked it up and it's like turned back, he's got to be dumbfounded at this point. Like he's got to be at a loss for words for what happened. And I love it because the Lord just keeps going. He didn't ask for another sign, but the Lord's like, oh, I'll give you another one. <laughs> Again, the Lord said to him, do this. Put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And he put it back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was... Uh, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. He says that if they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, that they, then they may believe the latter sign. If they don't believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground and the water you take from the Nile, water, will become blood on the dry ground. You understand what God's doing? He's saying, I'm calling you. I will equip you. You want a sign? Boom, there's a sign. You want another one? Watch that, right? Do you understand? Like God is changing the very nature of his flesh to, to take it and, and make it leprous as white as snow just by, he's gonna go to the leaders and can you imagine as he gets there amongst the elders, like, okay, I know you're not gonna believe me. Watch this. And you wonder like if like Moses is on his way to Egypt, like practicing, <laughs> leprous, not leprous, like in and out. And so God is giving him these signs. He's saying, if those aren't enough, when you get there, take some water from the Nile. Here's the reality. If God is calling you to something, he's able to equip you to do it. And I want to repurpose this state, the statement that people make, I think, with good intentions. People will say, well, God won't give you anything you can't handle. Moses, I just wish you knew that. God won't give you anything you can't handle. Yeah, he will. God does it all the time. God will give you things that you definitely can't handle. Moses can't do this. The better way to say that is God won't give you anything he can't handle. God is gonna, I believe God is gonna throw you in over your head all the time. And there's gonna be challenges. There's gonna be things he's calling you to that are gonna be tough. And I believe that in that, it creates a dependency upon us to the Lord where God provides, God shows up, God gives us the words to say, God does it. And we as his people that are following him are gonna say, man, Praise God. If you can get through your day, if you can get through your life with everything you can handle, perhaps you're not pursuing the Lord hard enough. Man, I would want us to, to follow God in that way that there would be things that we just can't do. I think it was, it was Bob Thune in one of his uh, retreats he was speaking at, he said, if you follow God at a safe distance, it leaves you both safe and distant. But this all in, here we go, Moses is in over his head, but God has called him to it, and so he's gonna equip him. And I remember fighting with the Lord on stuff like this. I remember fighting with the Lord in regards to baptism. I clearly studied it out, talked to godly people, and I knew that the Lord wanted me to get baptized. He was calling me, commanding, moreover, me to get baptized. And I remember the dialogue. It went something as absurd as what is going on with Moses. It's like, well, I was baptized as a baby, God. God's like, you, you know that the order is repent and be baptized. 
And I remember like, well, okay, I don't disagree. And I'm having this argument with the Lord. And it's like, but you know, it doesn't save me. It's just water. It's just a sign, right? Like Mary, not Mary. Like it's just a sign. It doesn't mean anything. To which God's like, yeah, it's, it is. It's just a sign where you identify with me. Why don't you want to identify with me? Well, it's not that. It's just, okay, my mom is going to not really like this. That's what's at the crux of it. So do you want to please your mom or do you want to live for me? And if your mom, I believe that she probably will be understanding. Man, I remember that dialogue, but again, God perhaps calling you to something Are we pulling a Moses here where it's like, let me think of creative excuses where we continue to push back on what God seems to be so clear on. See, before we all start pointing the finger and laughing at Moses, it's like, do we trust him? Do you trust God? Do you trust God in regards to his command of baptism? Do you trust God in regards to giving? This is another wrestle I've had with the Lord on money. It's like, Lord, but if I give it to you, then what what am I gonna do? What am I gonna live on? Malachi 3.10. God says this, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And he says about this, he says, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no more need. What's God saying in regards to giving? He said, test me, test me. See that I don't own the cattle on a thousand hills. Test me, see if you can outgive my generosity. You read that, you're like, okay, I'm not going to test you on that one. Like, sharing the gospel. Lord, I just don't know what I'll I'll say. Really? (laughs) I'm going to start reading the book of Acts this week, kind of in our Bible read-through. It's really, he's going to use ordinary, unschooled people, and he's going to give them the words. If God is calling you to something, Anthem Church, my guess is that he is able to equip you and see you through it. But Moses continues with the excuses. In verse 10, he says, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow to speech and tongue. Again, I don't have enough time to unpack this. Got to keep moving. But it's just another excuse. And God responds to him in verse 11. Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. I will be your mouth uh, and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you, you shall speak. Moses is saying, well, I'm not very good with words. God's saying, I will be with you. And finally, the truth comes out. Verse 13. Moses, he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. You get that kind of desperation? He's out of excuses. He's got nothing left. It's not about how I talk. It's not about, you are clearly going to do this. But uh, Moses' response says, would you please send someone else? And as you look back on the responses in in chapter three and chapter four, you notice how self-centered, how me-focused Moses' responses are. But Lord, what me, me, me? He's missing the whole promises, God. And here's here's the thing that really hurt as I was studying this out. Moses' response are so self-focused, but don't forget the greater context. In Exodus 38, 26, we're gonna see the people that God, his people that he's wanting to lead out in Exodus 38 and again in Numbers 1, we're gonna see that the number of people, when you think of the people enslaved in Egypt, the Bible's very clear, 
the number of people that are enslaved, 603,550 men age 20 and older. You add women and children into that, conservatively, you're talking about two to three million people that are back in Egypt enslaved. It got hard for Moses, and so Moses just got out, and God is saying, I want to deliver them. They're having to throw their babies into a river. They're being beaten, oppressed, crushed, and just, they're so cursed right now, and I want to deliver them? And you want to talk about how well you talk? Are you kidding me? Do you see how selfish and self-focused? Do you understand that, that when you push back, like, I don't know if I could talk to my coworker, I just... So you would rather them die apart from God and spend eternity in hell because you're afraid of how they might respond? That's, that's, that's what, do you understand the selfish nature of this pushback when God's calling us to these things? That in the end, it's not, it's a rebellious, this willful ignorance is a rebelliousness towards God and it makes you a horrible lover of people. And Moses right now just wants to talk about himself and he's a horrible lover of people. And when we fail to obey God, when we fail to submit, when we fail to surrender ourselves and, and, and go out there, we're the same. And what's it say in verse 14? That the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. Moses, you need to repent. Say, Anthem Church, myself, if that's true, there needs to be repentance. God is gracious, is he not? When you look at the response, is God not merciful? Is he not caring? Is he not loving? He's got a fuse. It's just longer than yours and mine. But nonetheless, there is this fuse. And at this point, the anger of the Lord is against Moses. I'm telling you, repent of that willful ignorance, of that self-centered prayers, of our failures, surrender and seek first the kingdom, repent. It, God is graciously gonna meet with him. He's saying, okay, if he, I'm, I'm angry, but I'll use your brother. You know Aaron, right? He'll meet with you. He can be the guy. You just teach him what to say and, and we're gonna get this done. God's concern is for the people, uh, uh, his people that are enslaved. So God's going to do this. And so he goes, and Moses, somewhat reluctantly, after no excuse and seeing the, the, the faithfulness of God, we, we skip down to verse 24. At a lodging place on his way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. And we're going to put this in context, but keep reading verse 25. Then Zipporah, this is Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched it to Moses' feet. And with it said, surely you're, bri you're a bridegroom groom of blood to me. So he let him alone. And it was then that she said, uh, it was when she said a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. So making sense of this, God had given his people the covenant of circumcision, right? Nobody else is doing this at this time, right? Nobody's like, oh, you know, I got an idea, right? This is not a thing. It's only a thing for the people of God that they're gonna identify with God. And so this is what you do is you're of the people of God, you get circumcised. And here's Moses with his own sons not being circumcised. And so, in effect, what Moses 
He's saying, I'm going to go lead out the people of God, and I'm going to teach people to follow God and pursue God. Moses, what about your own family? Do you see the hypocrisy there? I'm going to go lead people. I'm going to go do this. All the while, my family, I have not even led my own family to follow God in this command. First Timothy he talks about this in regards to elders. It's like, that's great. You want to be an overseer. You want to lead the church. That's great. Let's see if a man leads his own family well. Because if he can't lead his own family, how can he lead the family of God? And it, I, 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 I love that this is in this text because I, I feel like if we just stop short, we'd perhaps be like, okay, all right, God, we're going to serve you. We're ready. Here we go. And I think this serves as a good warning where it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you managing your own life? Are you managing your own family? Like, don't rush out if you got a big old plank in your eye. Be like, all right, I'm going to go help people get that little sawdust out of their eye. Does that make sense? Are we managing our own lives, our own family well? Because your failure to obey God in these little ways will rob you of credibility and influence in these bigger ways. Again, can you imagine if he would have got there and said, I'm going to lead you to follow God. Wait, your own sons don't identify with the, the tribe of God. Do you have a plank in your own eye? Here, how do you know that? Sometimes it creates such a blind spot. Like, how do you know? It's like when I eat an everything bagel at Panera. It's my jam, right? And you get like the little poppy seed things stuck in your teeth. How do you know if you got them there? There's two ways. One, you find a mirror or you use your phone. Like you do like the little reverse picture thing and you do like a selfie and you're like, oh, that is bad, right? That's one way. Or another way is if you're with somebody else, you're like, do I have anything in my teeth? It's humbling when they're like, yeah, right there, bro. Like, it's humbling, but there's two ways. And I'd say this, that, that you want to examine yourself before the Lord, go to his word, go in prayer, and say, God, tell me, is there something? Is there a way that I'm disqualifying myself? And another way is ask people. Ask people in your connection group, in your community, it's a good discipline. When's the last time you asked your friends, hey, is there a way that I could be more like Jesus? Because if we think we've got it all figured out, man, we are so mistaken. When's the last time you asked your spouse, is there a way that I should, or is there something I need to repent of? Something I should ask forgiveness? Is there a way that I'm falling short? This is humbling, but I'd say to, to mothers and fathers in the room, asking your kids, hey, we read Bible stories. You know about Jesus. Is there a way that your mom and dad are not like Jesus? I'm saying you can ask your little kids and that you can ask your kids out of the house. Wouldn't you want to know? What's the, the only reason I can think of for myself that I wouldn't want to ask that question is because I'm proud and I, won't, I don't want to know the answer. I'd rather just keep living life with poppy seed in my teeth thinking that I've got it all put together. You look like a fool our own families, to start with our own lives, and then in that zeal, go and be used by God outside. We can't be willfully ignorant. And we see, as I'm going way over on time, this narrative ends. And how's it end? Aaron does come with him in verse 30. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. He did them. He used them, right? Verse 31, and the people believed and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their reflection, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. 
God knows, he sees, and he hears, and he is able to rescue. God is able to rescue. And thousands of years later, he's gonna do it again. But this time, it's to a group of people that are enslaved to sin. And the one who we send this next time would perform miracles. Miracles would precede him. He would do all sorts of amazing things. He would refer to himself as the great I am. He would say, I am the son of God. I am the good shepherd. I am. And yet willfully ignorant religious leaders, willfully ignorant, again, that phrase, would call for his crucifixion. They sought to destroy him, but in that process, Jesus' blood would be shed for our sins. See, here's the thing, Anthem Church, you have to understand that, that God loves you enough that he would send his son. And so this equipping thing, this, this going out there and let's love people, let's do this well, let's apply this text, is by the blood of Jesus that we can be forgiven for our willful ignorance. And it's, it's through his resurrection that we can have hope and eternal life with him. I want to learn what I can from the narrative of Moses, but I want to ultimately look to the example of Jesus. So I'm going to invite the band up. We have an opportunity, again, to celebrate communion. And we look at the one who would deliver us from sin. And I want you to know that after a text like this, man, you shouldn't feel bad when you look at life of Moses. In fact, I don't know, I'm oddly comforted, but I'm like, man, that guy really messed it up. And God still used him. And this is just the beginning of the story. But know that, that God is so gracious, so compassionate, so loving, and that's displayed through Jesus. And so Jesus at the Last Supper said, hey, do this in remembrance of me. My body is broken for you. My blood is shed for you. And so as the band plays, we have an opportunity to celebrate communion, celebrate being delivered from our stupidity, from our ignorance, from our sin, and finding our identity in Jesus. And so